This morning we're going to be finding ourselves in the book of Psalms. So Lenka and I are doing a two-part series on the Psalms. And I'm really excited about it. I've been enjoying um, the last couple of months in the Psalms, and I want to encourage you today, or the message, if you walk away with one thing, walk away with the message that you need to read your Bibles. That's at the heart of what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in to all the work that I've been trying to do here and bring it together. And uh, we trust that the Spirit is going to guide us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, holy God is your name. We thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. You sent our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, that he would hang on the cross, bleed out so that our sins would be paid. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you, who is sent from our Lord Jesus Christ, are with us today. You are committed to us hearing and receiving your word. Pray that you bless us. As Tono prayed, and I pray again, open the eyes of our hearts this morning. Let us behold the wonderful things written in your word for us. God, would you stir the affections of our hearts that we would long all the more to look into the scriptures in response to what you have done for us. We praise you, we love you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so turn with me to Psalm 1. I'm going to be reading from my phone because I prepared from a different version from my Bible. Don't ask me why. This is what happens when you have a kid at home. Anyway, so I'm reading from the CSB, so let's read together Psalm 1. Verse 1, it says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stands in the pathway with sinners or sits in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord, is in the Lord's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted besides flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to ruin. <clears throat> it's a really powerful psalm. And in opening, I just want to give us a bit of context. Um, one of the things that I've loved to discover as I've been reading the psalms is that the psalms have been collected for over a thousand years. So if you look in your book, if you look in your Bible, you'll see all the psalms that normally we tend to read one psalm at a time or uh, we tend to read one verse of a psalm at a time. Um, but actually, when you read the book of the Psalms, what you'll find is that each psalm, the book has been collected for over a thousand years, and each psalm has been placed exactly where it's placed for a specific purpose. So if most of you guys have your Bibles open at Psalm 1, and you'll notice just above Psalm 1, it says Book 1 right there, right? If you have your Bible open, you'll see that. 
There's five different books in, in the book of Psalms, and each of those books have been collected over a thousand-year period, and each psalm has been placed exactly where it's, it's been placed for a specific reason. And the reason is because the guys who organize the book of the Psalms, they are trying to tell a story. They want us to actually read the whole book of the Psalms. That's their intention. And so Psalm 1 is written to tell us exactly that. Happy is the one who meditates on the word of the Lord, right? So that's what Psalm 1 is basically trying to tell us. It's pushing us, it's impelling us to continue to read. It's telling us what it means to be happy. This is what it means to be happy. Some, some of your translations might say blessed, you know, the blessed life. The Bible has an idea of what it means to be blessed. You know, we, we have our own ideas of what it means to be blessed, right? You know, most, of us have, most of us have an idea of what it means to be blessed, um, something that can be placed on a billboard or even on an Instagram post. You know? like we have an idea in our minds. You know? My wife's idea of being blessed is living on the beach, drinking Corona, Walking, into, walking onto a yacht and sailing all the way into the sunset. That's my wife's idea of being blessed. She, she's allowed me to use that example, by the way. It's been really fun for me and my wife to explore some of the things that we've seen here in, in Psalm 1. I mean, we all have this idea, and God in the Bible confronts our ideas of what a blessed life is with the truth. One thing you'll see as we keep going now is that the Bible refuses to stand on a fence or tolerate anyone who does. Verse 1 and 2 are deliberate statements. They are emphatic statements. They're explicitly drawing a line. So there's a lot of power here. And remember, this is poetry. So you got, we've got to go slowly, and you've got to enter in with me a little bit here, okay? These are emphatic statements that are telling us what it means to be happy. And the first way it does, it tells us what it means to be happy by telling us what it's not. How not to be happy. This is what happy people don't do. Verse 1. Happy people don't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Let me ask you a question. Why do you why do you make the decisions you make? Why do you do the things you do? Have you ever sat and evaluated what informs the decision that I'm about to make? If you've got two job offers on the table, what informs the job offer you take? What's the motives? What are the intentions? The idea of walking in advice it's telling us that something is informing us. Something is telling us what we are, something is telling us what to do. There's something that informs us, it shapes our motives, our intentions, it shapes our emotions. Something informs the way we live. So it's more than just advice here. It's about it's a pattern of thinking. Do you see that? Something shapes the way we lead our lives. There's a way happy people live their lives. 
when I was growing up, the primary person, and I'm using this example because I think everyone can relate here. When I was growing up, the primary person who shaped the way I lived my life, who shaped my pattern of thinking, was my mom and her whip. I'm not even joking. As parents should, she marked out parameters for me. She was the one who drew the lines in the sand for me. She was the one who gave me advice, and she influenced my thinking. And whenever I crossed the line, whenever I went across or disregarded her advice, like a sword that was pulled out of its sheath, out came the whip. And she would lash me. She'd give me three of the warmest, stinging lashes on my bottom. I would bounce up and down the ground like I'm a fish out of water. But that's what informed my life. It reinforced to me, even when I wasn't there, I'd remember the whip. I'd feel the pain of the whip before I crossed that line. I'd see the line and say, oh, okay. But that was what informed how I lived. That's the implication here. Something is informing the way you live. And the psalmist is saying that there's a way to live if you're going to be happy. I want us to notice something that's being implied here as well. Happy people don't walk in the way that they walk or sit or stand or go wherever they go because there's an objective standpoint. The psalmist is implying there's something else that happy people are standing on. I mean, just that opening line, it's a question, it's a pointer to ask you to start evaluating, to ask us to start evaluating. Happy people have an objective standpoint that helps them discern what good and bad advice is. And the issue of bad advice isn't that, oh no, someone just gave me bad advice. The issue of bad advice is what? It's the consequences behind the bad advice, right? If I tell you go jump off a bridge, the reason you're not going to jump off a bridge is because you understand the consequence behind that. That's the issue of bad advice. That's the issue of good advice. You understand, you are able to discern, you are able to process what is the implication beyond this advice that I've been, that I've been given. You see, you see this idea properly in the Proverbs. In one of the Proverbs that I pulled up in Proverbs 4, it says, the years of your life will be many if you listen. This is what the, the, the father is saying. He says, son, listen to me that the years of your life will be many. Happy people don't follow bad advice because there's consequences for life. We, we're going to get into more around the consequence issue later. But this is, this is where we want to start. I want to, I want to impel us to start considering this. Let's move on to the next thing. Happy people don't stand in the pathway of sins. Now notice the, the, notice the decline in the behavior here. First he's walking, and then he's what? And he's standing. Later you'll see he's sitting. You know? So, and the idea that's being trying to push here, that's, that's being pressed on us here, is that the, the advice that we follow, the thing that is motivating what we're doing, it leads us to a certain lifestyle. A better way to describe that, actually, it's not just a lifestyle, it's a, it's a moral character, right? Because it's, character is what shapes the lifestyle, right? 
Right? If, if someone's leading a certain lifestyle, you can try and actually discern what the person's character is. It's like, right? And, 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 and that's the idea that's been pushed on us here. Someone who's standing in the pathway of sinners, this is not someone who's just walking in advice. This is someone who's in a lifestyle. They are resolved to live in whatever advice or pattern of thinking that has shaped the way their lives has gone. And Psalm 1 says, happy people don't do this. They're not steadfast in wrong patterns of thinking. I think this is one of the, not I think, this is one of the dangerous things of living in our culture today. A culture that is confused about what the truth is. We are living in a culture that is resolved to shove it down our throats that truth is relative. You make your own truth. And the culture is equally resolved and equally and equally steadfast in refusing to examine that claim. The culture won't tell you to pause and think, what is that claim actually saying? That's the kind of culture we live in. Everyone is impelled to make up their own truth. And we see this in how we handle the scriptures today. We're concerned about what the Bible means for me than what the Bible actually means. The psalmist is saying happy people don't stand there. There's an objective truth that confronts everything that we think about, that we do, and who we do it with. That's the idea being communicated with when he says they don't sit in the company of mockers. Happy people don't go there. The advice you follow leads you to stand in the lifestyle. It shapes your character. And your character brings about whoever you're going to do that stuff with. Happy people have an objective truth that they are standing on, that they are evaluating everything that they're going to do. Which leads us to verse 2. In contrast to walking, standing, and sitting, happy people are trained. Let's read verse 2 first. Verse 2 says, Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instructions, and he meditates on it day and night. Happy, fortunate, lucky, blessed is the one who delights and meditates in the law of the Lord. Happy people are trained to examine the advice that they are given. They don't stand on objective standards that are far deeper. They stand on objective standards that are far deeper than the culture. And so what does this mean? What does it mean that a happy person finds their foundation in the law or in the instructions of the Lord? Let's start with the word delight. The word delight there, I, I, I need you to enter in with me here. The word delight can be translated to pleasure. Okay? And I think deeply with me now. This is poetry. This is a powerful image. The idea here is one of, I was, I was 
trying to research a, a great word, and, and, and the word glee came up. The idea is it's, it's great, deep satisfaction. It's an intense gratification. You see where I'm going? This is poetry now. You need to enter into this. Married people, get in here with me. The idea here is worship. When you get married, you get to worship in the best way possible. His delight is in the Lord's instruction. Listen to how the author in Psalm 119 says it. He says, I delight in your commands which I love. I will lift up my hands to your commands which I love and will meditate on your statutes. We'll get into the idea of meditating, but that's the idea of delight. There's a pleasure. Happy people find pleasure, deep satisfaction in the instructions of the law. Okay, so that's the word delight. Now let's look at the Lord. What is the Lord? This is obviously an important thing, right? Because happy people are not just delighting. They're not just finding a deep satisfaction in a random thing. They're finding in any other instructions. They're not finding a deep satisfaction in the instructions of a dishwasher. What is a dishwasher? A dishwasher is a very helpful thing in my marriage. But what is the Lord? How would you answer that? If you had to ask someone sitting next to you, what is the Lord? And someone that you go to work with, you exercise with, maybe even a family member, how would you give them an answer if they said, what is God? Maybe the better question for us here today is, how did you arrive at the conclusion of who you believe God to be? Aidan Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, everyone loves this quote because it's such a powerful quote. He says, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to explain that our view of God what we believe God is like at the very core of our being shapes the whole course of our lives. I want to be happy. Who wants to be happy? I want to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Something is shaping that desire. Toza says, what we believe about God shapes the way we live on earth. It shapes the way we pursue that happiness. We see a great example of this on page 3 of the Bible. The man and the woman were confronted about what their view of God was. Their disregard of God's command revealed what their view was. It revealed what they believed about God. 
They weren't interested in God being God. They wanted to be God. And that had disastrous consequences. This is the number one thing. This is the number one thing that human beings are trying to answer. This is the number one question we all trying to answer. The law of the Lord is only as significant as to what or who we believe the Lord to be. I'll say that again. The law of the Lord is only as significant as to what or who we believe the Lord to be. Who is the Lord? Why do I say this is the number one question that human beings want to answer, that human beings are are crying to answer? Because we were all born this way. We were born with a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And from the day we were born, we've been trying to fill that God-shaped hole with something. What if someone asked you, why, why were we made? Why were we created? What answer would you give them? What would you say if someone asked you, why were we created? Why do we exist? Why was I born? I've recently rediscovered catechisms, and I've been working my way through them. And both the Westminster and the Heidelberg Catechism, they both start with this question. Wink is smiling. They both start with this question because this is the question every human being wants to answer. What is the ultimate purpose of man? The ultimate purpose of man, this is how the Westminster and the Heidelberg Catechism answer it. The ultimate purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the God-shaped hole that was created in all of us. We were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You are not your own. You're made with a purpose. You're made to enjoy God. But we can't hold in our hearts with something else. I see it in my two-month-old son. He tries and fills his hole with mommy's milk and, and, my, and my cuddles. That's why he'll never go to sleep. The rest of us try to fill that hole with other things. Approval. Security. Romance. Respect. Control. We want happiness. But we give ourselves to activities that we believe will give us all those things. But they never fill up the hole. We turn to these things because we turn to these things and we believe in these things because we don't know how to adequately question what is God. So what is God? This is what the psalmist says. Psalm 86, verse 8 to 10. says, Lord, There is no one like you among the gods. He acknowledges that there are other demigods. He says, Lord, there is no one like you among these gods, the things that I've tried to fill my hole with. 
and there are no works like yours. All the nations you have made will come and bow down before you, Lord, and will honor your name. For you are great and perform wonders. You alone are God. But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth. That's how the psalmist answers the question. This is how the New City Catechism answers the question. They use the psalm and they summarize how we should answer the question. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice and truth. Nothing happens through him. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. This is the Lord whose instructions we are supposed to enjoy. This is the Lord whose instructions are worthy to be enjoyed. Oh, how happy, how fortunate, how blessed is the one who finds pleasure in the instructions of the one true God who creates and sustains everything by his eternal, infinite, and unchangeable power in perfection, goodness, glory, justice, and truth. And so what does this happy person do with this instruction? If, and finally, we get to the point of delighting in these instructions, what does this happy person do? He meditates on it day and night. That's the next, that's the next line, right? He meditates on his instructions day and night. The actual word there for meditation, the Hebrew word, it's translated to, to mutter or, or, or to murmur, like to speak underneath your breath. You know? You know, like when you, I think a good example is like when you're in a restaurant and you with a group of people and then the bowl comes and then you're trying to work out what's your portion and how much, the, how much tip you need to give in there and you start, start thinking in your head and you start, you know, you start muttering, you, start, you know? Start trying to work out how much you've got to pay. That's the idea here. But you're not doing that with a bowl here. You're doing it with the instructions of the Lord. You know? That's how you meditate on it. You mutter the words of it. You speak them underneath your breath. And the idea is to have a deep contemplation. It's to dwell on something, to look at it at various angles and to consider its implications. That's, that's what's happening here. You know? It's like tea. I love rooibos tea. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who leaves the tea bag in the cup. Anyone? Amen. I, I love drinking rooibos tea. And the longer you leave the tea bag in there, the longer it steeps, right? And what happens? The longer it steeps, the more the tea infuses its flavor and richness into the water. That's the idea of meditating. That's a powerful image, eh? Happy people are characterized by an intense gratification 
in the instructions of the Lord, which results from a deep contemplation of it. This is what we should be doing with the Lord. Do you, do you see why this psalm is the first psalm? Isn't that cool? When you think about the idea that you're called to read the entire book, not just a psalm or a verse of it. Okay, let's move on. So what is the Lord's instruction then? What are the instructions of the Lord? According to the Ten Commandments, this is the instruction of the Lord. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take or make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. That's the law. If you do all of that, you'll be happy. That's exactly all you got to do. Jesus, when Jesus came, he summarized it even more. He summarized all of those ten into just a short two statement, a short two word statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you'll be happy. The New City Catechism says, and this is what we need to do. We need to glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and obeying His will, commands, and law. You want to be happy? That's all you've got to do. That's how you become happy. You don't even have to focus on the ten. Just look at the two that Jesus gave you. And listen to what will happen if you do this. Because this is what's at stake, right? This is how the Bible describes you when you do this. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. That's what's at stake. Our city is one of the biggest jungles in the world. And so we know what trees are, right? Trees are tall. They tower. You know, like, they're deep. Trees are sturdy. That's what's at stake. But look at where this tree is planted. It's planted right by a powerful life source. A source of life that won't let it die. This is a flowing river. It's not stagnant water. Which means it's a renewing life source. And because of it, the tree, it doesn't just live. It thrives. All over our cities, trees are starting to wither, right? As it gets colder and colder, the colors of the leaves are changing. They're falling down. You know, it's becoming dry and dusty. And soon these trees are going to be bare. You know, they're, going to, they're going to be quite ugly. I don't want to use that word. but This tree doesn't go through that. 
This tree that is planted by the stream doesn't go through that. That's what's at stake. You want to be happy? You want to be this tree? And all he does, he prospers. So who of us is close to happiness? Anyone? Is anyone in this building kept to the Lord? Can any of us say that we've kept the law perfectly? I mean, just look at that list. I don't have to go two rows down. The answer is no. This is one of the consequences of page three. When you read in the Bible, read page three in the Bible, this is one of the consequences. Since the fall, no human being has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but we consistently break it in thought, in word, and in deed. That's the consequence of page three. We can look at it again. We can look at all those lists again. I mean, that's, that's exactly what the consequence is. James, in his book, says, Whoever keeps the entire law, yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. That's pretty clear, right? What about Romans 3? Romans 3 makes it nice and clear. This is the verse that led me to faith. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So, so if we want to be happy, we need to find pleasure in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. But if no one can keep the law, then what's the point? What's the point of the law? We first started with, we first started with what we shouldn't do, and then we looked at what we need to do. But now we've just realized that that's something nobody can do. So what's the point? What's the point then? What's the point of Psalm 1 telling us what to do when nobody can do what we need to do? Legan Duncan says there's definitely a point, and he gives us three of them. There's three points, so follow with me. Please bear with me, we're almost there. He says, Firstly, he says, the law of God very specifically reveals to us God's character and his own moral qualities. Morality is not random. God doesn't tell us to do random things. God does not require us to do things that he is not prepared to do himself. So all morality is rooted in God's character. And when we study the law, we see a display of God's character. So rather than focusing on what we need to do, the first thing is let's look at who God is. Secondly, he says, God's law also reveals to us ourselves. 
especially our sinful nature, our disobedience and our inclination to sin. I think that's the most important thing right there. We live in a culture that doesn't want to do this. They don't want to look in the mirror and say, oh, there's a crack, there's something broken. This is what the law does. It shows us who God is, and it shows us who we are. And we, and we need to hold these two things. We need to hold these two things. Now, the second thing, it leads us to the last thing. Legan Duncan says, the law helps us to understand our need. When you recognize that you are broken, you recognize that you are in need. When we know who God is, and we know that we don't measure up to his morality and character, when we know who we are, and we know the sinful inclinations of our hearts, the motives, the intentions, the desires, the feelings, the law presses us to Jesus because we know that we have need of a Savior and the Savior has fulfilled the law. That's the promise to believe. If you're taking notes, write that down. He goes on, he says, He has obeyed it perfectly. And he's paid the penalty that is due to us for it, the law. The law presses us to the Savior. It points us to the Savior. It takes us to the Savior. That's the point. We don't measure up to God's character. We fell. We tried to measure up to God's character. That's why we fell. On page three, and the law presses us to the Savior who's fulfilled the law. It points us to Jesus. It takes us to Jesus. We need Jesus. That's the only way we are going to be happy and live lives that delight and meditate on God's law. It's through Jesus. His death plants us by the stream. And it's by his death that we will not wither. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Like the tree planted by the stream. Their leaves will never wither. The wicked are not like this. They don't want to look in the mirror of the law. They don't want to see who God is. They don't want to see the truth about themselves. They don't want to consider what the implications of that might be. And so they're blown away like chaff. The word chaff there is like sawdust. Have you ever had sawdust since you were like, it's like chalk. I used to do I used to do powerlifting, and you need chalk to you know, lift up the weights. That's what that's what that's what they like. 
people who aren't willing to sit and examine and look at themselves like this through the mirror of the scriptures. They're like chalk that gets blown away. And one day, when we all come before the Lord, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, those who are blown away, they won't even stand at the day of the judgment. Their heads will remain bowed down while the rest of us behold our Lord. Only happy people will stand when we get home. <clears throat> Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except through the Father. No, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm overwhelmed at this truth. I want to pause there. We will with our heads bowed and our knees on the ground. And only those who trust in the Lord will stand. Forever singing the word of name. And so we do. So what do we do with Psalm one? There's a command to obey and there's a promise to believe. The command to obey is pretty obvious. Read the Bible. And don't just read it. Let it steep in you. Let the richness of God's word steep in you. How do you do that? By the promise. You need to read the Bible believing that Jesus Christ has finished all of this. And so when the Bible says you are broken, you are in need, you say worthy is the Lamb. And when the Bible says one day you will be in heaven with me, you sing hallelujah. That's the application for us today. When you read Psalm 1, you see our Lord Jesus Christ who's planted us like the, who's planted us like the tree and you hope in verse 6 that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And you read God's word with that hope. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. You are God. We have no good thing apart from you. Oh Lord, we live in a culture that doesn't want us to look at the truth. Stir the affections of our hearts. I pray that even after this, it would be appealing to read the whole book of the Psalms to read it with that promise that we are believing and hope and trust in you. We praise you, we love you, in Jesus' name. Amen.